We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. So we got Zeke Stout here today. And and sadly, when I say we, that's out of habit. Uh, <laughs> my boy Ski is not with me today. Um, we have missed one or two episodes together recently. And I just want to say people have sent messages like, what's going on? Is there a breakup? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> As always, we always have scheduling conflicts. So that's all we're battling right now. He and I have blocked out some time uh, in the next two to three weeks where we'll be able to knock out some episodes um, and get some some guests back in here. Yeah, so yeah. The last two times I've been here, he doesn't show up. <laughs> I get it. True. I get it, Ski. No, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know he hears Zeke's going to be on. He's like, screw that. I'm I'm sick. <laughs> it's, dude, it is, it is the opposite. And I, <laughs> it's like he and I have talked about it. And we went through – this happened last time when we first started. We did a couple of um, episodes, and then my schedule got absolutely crazy. Yeah. And so then once we ironed all that out, we got back to recording. And then now it's on, on his end and some on mine, too, where we're, we're trying to, like, cross paths. I've got a little more freedom on my schedule, uh-huh. uh, which kind of allows <laughs> you to jump on. But last time when we tried this, uh, I, I, I've got some – some video from it and audio for a little while. We did like an hour and a half and then yeah. we had audio issues about 20 minutes into it. So. <laughs> hey, but, but we promise you that that last hour was amazing. You you just jumped it <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> it. It was, it was, I still, I tell myself I'm, I'm going to chop up some of that video from last time and we'll make some reels out of it. Cause it was good. But <laughs> to let everybody know, Zeke Stout's back for episode two. Uh, I cannot remember the original number uh, from the episode, but you all remember when Zeke was on last time, we got <laughs> deep into a, lo- a large uh, or long music conversation. Yes. Uh, and we also talked about Zeke's background uh, in um, hosting <laughs> the uh, TV show that he had probably... It, well, it was on Discovery Channel, but it yep. was three seasons or... One season. Or we one had, season. We had one full season. <laughs> yeah. I tried to which, add something there. Which it was, it was so weird because, you know, I when I've done podcasts, when I've done radio, like the radio show, it was five years. You know, the, the okay. podcast about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the podcast is actually still going. I just, I left to do other ventures in the gun industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, the TV show got one season. And so I was bummed. Like I was really yeah. bummed. I mean, I mean, I wasn't like ended all depressed or anything, but I was, I was pretty bummed out. And the executive producer called and he's like, Hey man, we had a great run. I'm like, yeah, I appreciate it. And he was like, you, you bummed out. I was like, yeah. He goes, dude, quit. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes out of all the TV shows that are filmed every year, only about 6% make it to air like even get one episode Mm. show. He goes, Mm -hmm. there are thousands of TV shows that get filmed and approved. And right before they go to air, the studio goes, no, forget it. We're not playing it. He goes, so you, you did, you were in the 6% that made it. He goes, now of those 6% that make it to air, only about 10% of those last the full season. He goes, a, a lot of them get yanked because they're not getting any ratings. He goes, so not only did you make it there, you made it a full season. He goes, you need to be proud of that. And I was kind of like, wow, I, I never thought of it like that. He goes, that's pretty impressive that y'all did that. I was like, okay, cool. 
So, yeah, it, it's master of arms, and it's one of those like uh, weapons, firearms. Yep. Um, it's just it's it's cool. The whole idea of it. Anybody who I say geeks out, but you know, we some of us grew up like for me, I grew up playing with toy guns from the time like I can remember. Yeah, it's always yeah. felt that way for me to to want to go into a field with firearms and to shoot, and it just it feels comfortable. And yeah. I, I do dig like reality shows like that where you start to see the craftsmanship and you start to mm -hmm. see how these things are developed or whatever. And yeah. you, you got a good mug and a voice for uh, for TV <laughs> and and for radio, so you, you're good to go, man. Yeah, and and it's it, you can still watch it like I, i'm not promote i don't make a dime if you watch it <laughs> right. I, I, that's one thing about cable tv is it's hard to get negotiated residuals with it um mm -hmm. unless it's an acting job and then you have a union behind you um but yeah you can still watch it on the discovery app and i think you can buy it on amazon and apple itunes and all that stuff so yeah that's good. Is out there. <laughs> are, are you are you still using the voice at least to do anything? Yeah, right now? yeah. So one of the things I did in the past was called projectile dysfunction. Um, <laughs> Vanessa, if anybody remembers the Mandrell sisters, Barbara Mandrell, Earlene mm -hmm. Mandrell, it's Earlene Mandrell's daughter is my co-host, mm -hmm. and uh, she does stand up, sings, musician. I mean, she does a little bit of everything. And she used to work for me at the school I used to work at. And uh, we started a little radio show in Nashville and it kind of took off and had, you know, a good five years uh, of that. And it's, it's, even though it's called projectile dysfunction, mm -hmm. it's not a gun show. It's kind of gun adjacent. Like if we end up talking about guns, awesome. She and I can both do it. She's armor and several platforms and stuff. If we have a country artist on and he wants to promote his show, we're going to try to get him to talk about outdoors and guns and hunting and stuff like that. But it mm -hmm. might just be cool stuff that he's done. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's basically we're sitting around in a cabin shooting the bleep with your buddies. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> what it feels like. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's it's fun. I always forget. Dude, I can cuss on here, right? Yeah, you can cuss okay, like shoot, shooting the shit with your buddies. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get back into radio mode because we're <laughs> yeah. relaunching this on an FM station here in Memphis. Oh, uh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, but if you want to listen to old episodes of that, you can find Projectile Dysfunction Show on YouTube, or you can even listen on uh, your podcast places. But it's about to relaunch uh, bigger and better. We're going to have a whole video set up and all kinds mm. of stuff. And the, the key to getting it off the ground is sponsorships uh, mm -hmm. because going into radio if you get a brokered spot which is what we're getting um ours is weird it's like a brokered non-brokered so like spot they wanted us to do the show but we still have to pay for the the slot which is good because it makes means that we can make more money on the on the end side mm -hmm. of it yeah. um but basically uh we need sponsors so if anybody wants to sponsor us uh and this that sounds horrible because i'm on another podcast who's probably <laughs> no, hunting no. for sponsors trying to poach their sponsors <laughs> oh no, no hey i'm i'm all for it man yeah. you know what i mean yeah <laughs> but yeah so that we're in the process of doing that now but it's fun i, I love it it's i i love the i don't get me wrong i enjoyed tv but mm -hmm. there's so much other stuff like radio, mm -hmm. I, I can show up in pajamas, my hair all fried and just go, you know, <laughs> yeah. now we're going to have a video set up for this, but still yeah. it's going to be very laid back. It's going to be mm -hmm. just cameras pointed at us. But there's no editing. There's no filming 12 cuts of 
cut scenes yeah. and you know there's not any of that stuff no makeup thank god <laughs> that i think that would be the the like the strangest part of oh. anything to like you know putting makeup on Dude, and and, and with tv i guess movies are the same way because they're using the same lighting and cameras mm-hmm. it's not like your girlfriend putting on her makeup to go on a date like <laughs> you got a cake on your face it's bizarre man I, i'm yeah. sitting there going really is this how much makeup you put on in the morning and they're like no no because the lighting is so bright and hot you've got to absorb mm. the reflections and then i'm like that's a lot of freaking makeup on my face <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh i'm kind of telling on myself when i was in the army and we used face camo you know it was like it was like loam and green or whatever it's like basically like two tones of uh green but I have like really long eyelashes. Yeah. And, and so when you're doing like your, your eyelids and your upper eyebrow and stuff, I'd like scrub that stuff off. And then my eyebrows would still be a little like thicker, like from the color yeah. of my eyelashes <laughs> would like sometimes get like, it, it would look, make them look darker. Yeah. I didn't dig that, man. Like it, 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 there were some pictures circulating and people were like, dude, you don't look right, man. Like you look like you're wearing eyeliner or something. It, it's weird. You know what I mean? Like yeah. how, like, um, if they're putting makeup on you for TV, it's all at one time. So it yeah. doesn't, nothing yeah. stands out, but right, man, right. I used to scrub, like I was scrubbing my eyes and eyebrows <laughs> like, ah, oh, this is terrible, dude. Terrible. Uh, yeah. Well, and that, it, it looks so weird mm-hmm. in the mirror, not on camera. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it, on camera, like you go back and watch the show. If you don't know me, you're not going to think this guy's got makeup on. Just because okay, yeah, yeah. the way they do it for the lighting and stuff. But mm-hmm. you go look in the mirror and you feel like you're a mime or something. <laughs> like I'm like, yeah. I'm going to show up looking like I'm going to a, a, a drag contest. What, what, it, what? And they're like, no, no, it won't look like that on camera. I'm like, are you yeah. sure? Because I'm looking in the mirror and that looks weird. <laughs> and sure enough, it didn't look like it. It looked yeah. like this on yeah. camera. So. So now you you guys are you all are going to be launching the radio show. Yeah, I I was always a huge fan growing up of mm-hmm. listening to the radio, and my brother and I were actually telling some stories this past probably weekend two weeks ago. Uh, we were all just sitting around talking. Music came up in the radio, and we got we started talking about when we were kids listening to the local college radio station, and it was mostly metal. But you could do whatever request you wanted to in, in yeah. metal, punk, hardcore, whatever. And our former next door neighbor had actually become a DJ there because he was going to college. Yeah. And so my brother would call in and make requests and stuff. But like just when we were young, it was like, that's how you learn the new music or you learn, you know, at that time, that realm. And then as I got older, you had other radio shows going and talk radio. And it was just this idea of enjoying a great conversation and then hearing guests, which is the same thing with like podcasting. Yep you know, Ski and I were sitting around talking. It's just like, we know all these people that we love talking to and we want to get on the show. Like if we enjoy it, hopefully everybody else will, you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. so, so far the feedback was great. That's why like you and I've been going back and forth. Like, man, we, we got to do some more episodes because yeah. I can yeah. sit here and talk for like two <laughs> or three hours with you. And very few people, it seems like will have a certain level of knowledge about something. But then be able to also talk about other things, you know, not yeah. just be, I'm gunman, robot. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, ah, we can talk about guns, we can talk about weapons or whatever, what's going on in society or skateboarding or 
and I think, movies or whatever. I think you nailed the key to having any kind of talk show, whether it's podcast, radio, TV, whatever. If you're having fun, I guarantee yeah. you the majority of your listeners are too. If yeah. you're like, oh my God, this guy is. <laughs> and, and I think I've said this on the show. I can't remember if you and I were just talking offline or not, but I'll say it again. Maybe it was during the static part of the episode. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've had we've had people on our show before where you, they're perfect. Like, mm-hmm. you, you're like, and go. And they just talk. And you can sit back and take a nap, you know, mm-hmm. and relax. But then we've had people where it's like, hey, so what do you do for a living? Hunting. Yeah. And then it's just silence. You're like, okay, so what type of hunting? Deer. Okay, okay how do you make a living hunting deer we're we're like guides and you're like oh my god this is going to be the worst interview ever because you you want people to go oh you know i've got a business uh doing hunting guides Mm -hmm. we we mainly primarily focus on whitetail and eastern tennessee and blah blah blah. no and it's like one word answers but what's bizarre is before we hit record Mm-hmm. we were having a conversation we were cracking up i'm like this guy's gonna be a great interview nope as soon as that record button hit it became yes <laughs> no uh-huh yeah. <laughs> and you, and you want to like switch it up and be like all right so what's your favorite breakfast cereal growing up yeah it's like a random <laughs> question like i gotta get you talking somehow it's it's like the most boring rap hype man in the world <laughs> yeah right. uh, uh-huh <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's great. Like, sure. I love it. It's that's, the passion of my life. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always uh, talk about how there are people who, like, through through my career, there were guys that, that I knew were really good at something. Yeah. And I wanted them to teach it to everybody else. And some guys would just be like, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an instructor. And, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, send them my way, and I'll sit down with them for an hour and talk, like in a room or something. Yeah, but I'm not going to do all this organized teaching and stuff. Yeah, and I've been to like conferences where, like, one guy started to present, and it was, it was rough, and it was like an hour, and it was like 300 to 400 people in this huge room. Uh huh. And this poor guy is just droning on and on, and I think what happens is people start to talk. And their brains are like focused so much on whatever the lesson plan or whatever they prep yeah. for. Yeah. Instead of having a conversation with the audience, you yeah. know, for legit, it, it's almost like they go. And so, and that's when the criminal um, organization, and you can yeah. feel the whole group just oh, start yeah. to kind of go to sleep. And let me tell you, I don't know that anyone's meaner than. I'll say there's two types of people that are audiences that are probably the hardest to teach are, are law enforcement uh-huh. and probably like middle schoolers. You know, that's like a, <laughs> that's a tough era. What's the difference? Life. Exactly. It's the exactly. same mentality. Humor is the same. Everybody, <laughs> like every, everybody listening and watching to this, when you see the show cops or when you see the YouTube yeah. videos where the cops like, rah, 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 yeah. that's just their job. Most cops I know are like seventh graders when they take the uniform off. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, I, I will say, um, it was almost like um, you had to, you know what I mean? Like there were just yeah. certain times um, that after a shift, especially like if I was on a team 
and you and you work like eight, 10 hours, 12 hours, and, and something big happens, and, yeah. and maybe you flip a guy, you get a gun, maybe you help homicide clear something. But then afterwards, man, like we were known to sit in a parking lot and talk for like three or four hours yeah. and laugh and joke. And it's almost like your your brain is going from serious mode and hey, we just did a takedown. We did all this dangerous stuff to like, yeah. hey, do you remember when you were a kid and whatever, fill in the blank <laughs> or what? Like just talking about random stuff. Yeah. And, and it's true. Uh, like when you're when you're teaching and there's this crowd and you can read the crowd, you know, yeah. just just like an audience, you know, if, if you're talking in front of an audience. But uh, yeah, like eighth grade kids who, you know, all of a sudden just put their head down. It's like they go to sleep. They don't want to hear you talk and you're not engaging them. But then when you're also teaching, you know, law enforcement, while you can have the most active student, like I'll legit see people taking notes and they'll yeah. come up at breaks and ask me questions. There'll also be people who will completely check out. Yeah. And sometimes that's ego though. You know what I mean? Like as adults, oh, yeah. some people are like, I already know this, yep. you know, or whatever, or I don't know. They just don't care or something. I don't know. Have, I, I don't know. Have you ever taken a course from Dan O'Kelly? He is a retired ATF agent and he teaches like firearms identification to law enforcement and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Travels all over the country doing, And I know he's taught a lot in North Carolina and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, but he is, he is amazing teacher. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Like from the moment he starts, you're hooked. And I've got my, uh, uh, firearm specialist certificate from him, his company. Okay. Um, this is just gunlearn.com and he's you become an IFSC uh, certified firearm specialist. Uh, but anyways, he teaches a lot of law enforcement and he's charismatic and everything. But then I've heard recordings of him where he's recorded his course for online. Oh, and he mm -hmm. goes from hey and blah 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 and this and this and this and, and yeah, and then you listen to his recording and he's like, This is a lever action rifle. Yeah lever actions work i'm like dan what the fuck <laughs> but that's legit because he's yeah. not gonna have anybody to feed off of him right, sure, right? exactly yeah. but it, it's yeah. completely different when he's in front of a crowd yeah. and, yeah. and it, it's amazing but he's he's got that ability especially with law enforcement you know to kind mm -hmm. of pull that out and it's it's funny because he's a super super pro gun atf agent <laughs> <laughs> that's the you know I like to interrupt people. And so yeah. I'm going to interrupt you right now. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Man, I, I like for years, I would talk about the ATF because yeah. of the proactive investigations and my experience with ATF agents was anything to do with, you know, gun legislation yeah. and enforcement. It was all gang related. And hey, yep. here's a gang. They're selling guns or they're running guns or what or whatever. They just happen to be carrying them and wanting to shoot and kill people. Yeah. And the ATF agents that I know and work with, you know, not you know, like crossing paths were incredible. So yeah. it is interesting how like the like a stereotype logs in, because when you said that I, I'd actually taken a class, I had taken a class early on as a patrol officer mm -hmm. and it was a Washington, D.C. retired like lieutenant. But he had worked street crimes mm -hmm. on the ATF task force. Okay. And gotcha. that dude was an absolute wealth of knowledge because he was a street cop. Yeah. But when he worked on the task force, he's working with them and, and being able to use their resources and share information. But his team, it, it was, it was incredible. And it was one of those things we immediately implemented 
on the streets as patrol officers. And as we transitioned a couple of us into a gang unit, yeah, it was like, man, this is, this is legit. You know what I mean? So I, I remember um, at that time, someone kind of talking trash about, Oh, ATF doesn't know anything and this and that. And I'm like, it's free training, but, but, yeah. but, but either way, I'm just saying, I keep an open mind about everything. And, it, and if somebody's going to go after a gang member with a gun and, and it's going to keep peace in the neighborhood, I'm good to go. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? But, but yeah, I see the ATF from both sides. You know, mm-hmm. I see the pro second amendment crowd, you know, which mm-hmm. I'm a part of, um, that are like abolish the ATF. It's ridiculous. Some of these laws, which it is, you know, mm-hmm. our constitution says shall not be infringed. And mm-hmm. the majority of these ATF laws, uh, banning a lot of things are infringements. Um, so I see that side, but I also see the side from the law enforcement perspective that there are things that ATF does that can get you to a criminal. Mm-hmm. You know, the criminal may be iffy on the drug side, maybe iffy on the, the robbery side, maybe iffy, but they know they got them on gun charges. Yes. And mm-hmm. you can bring the ATF in to kind of help gather more evidence because they have hard evidence on the gun side, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, then the next argument is, okay, well then why can't law enforcement use the same rules and regulations to do mm-hmm. use those charges. And it's, it's just kind of, I'm assuming you can tell me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong. It's easier if you have an agency that specializes in that item um, that can kind of help. What's the yeah. word, uh, you know, pile up more evidence to it, if you know, you can't get this guy on the meth charges that you know, he has, but for some loophole that he, you're screwed and you can't get him, the mm-hmm. ATF can go, Oh, well, you know, that sawed off shotgun he had was a complete felony. And you're like, Oh, that's <laughs> what we're going to use. You know? Yeah. That one, that one has been one altering, you know, firearms, the length of them, uh, obliterating yeah. serial numbers, no yeah. um, possession of firearm by a convicted felon. Yeah. So oftentimes agencies will actually, have a team of their own officers that are on a task force with ATF. So then what will happen is patrol may stop a car. They, you know, have a gang member in there. He's got a gun in his waistband. He's convicted felon, like, like a really, really bad guy. It's all on Mm -hmm. body cam, car camera. It's a rock solid case. Then that, even though he's charged on the state level, oftentimes because States can have like, um, firearm by felon charge, that sort of thing. Or, or carry whatever, you know, carrying with the commission of a crime, that sort of thing. Each mm-hmm. jurisdiction is different. But if it's a rock solid case like that, what can happen is then the ATF can adopt that case, meaning that now they can look at it and say, yes, this this is applicable on the, on the federal level. I never right. worked an ATF task force. Um, I just know that that's pretty much how how a lot of that operates. So that end of it, I've always seen more of like how the ATF's applied to disrupt, you know, gang violence or drug violence on that end because of where I worked, because it was in the city, because it, there were, you know, gang feuds going on and stuff. Right. Um, that's, that's what we were looking at um, as an agency. And then you see on the federal side, it all just depends on who, who is, uh, the, the attorney general at the time, or who is, who is on the federal side. Um, a lot of times it seems, you know, uh, political in the sense that you may have a president who says, 
hey, we're going to be tough on crime. And what that means is, you know, more federal prosecutors, you know, spread out in different areas. Maybe they're going to help more of the rural departments if they're seeing, uh, you know, an escalation in uh, murders and gun violence. So then on the federal side, you may start to see a lot more cases bound over, so to speak, or adopted federally. Yeah. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, presidency can change. And then all of a sudden those resources go away. And so sadly, that's what ends up happening in a lot of the cities. The cities that have been able to curb a lot of violence is through a, just a lot of hard work by, you know, proactive units. And then you get into the realm of things being political. And a lot of times people making those decisions have, have never had a gun put in their face by another no. citizen. They've never been robbed. They've never had a grandson join a gang, you know, and then get charged with some stuff that he commits in the name of the gang. And then now is in prison for 10 years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they never experienced that. So yeah. those are the aspects that oftentimes I get frustrated with when people play politics with, you know, the American citizen and their quality of life. Because yeah. because truly, and, I, and I'll get off the soapbox, but truly you can disrupt and drive down gun violence in cities. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing an all time high and spike in these crimes and it's not random and it's not because people are trying to put food on their table. Mm -hmm. It's because everything is, is going unchecked. Yeah. So legit like gang members will communicate with one another, either through phone texts, through jail phone calls. Like I've heard it, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. and guys have told me like straight up, you know, nobody's getting stopped anymore. Yeah. So, so gang members now don't see, especially the younger guys who are also more impulsive and have their, their hands on guns because they haven't been, um, sort of conditioned or had the experience of watching one of their fellow gang members go to federal prison on a gun charge. Sure. They just sort of built, you know, it's like fire doesn't burn. So I'm going to roll around with these guns. And I think we've talked in the past, um, you know, you, you talk about some 17 year olds rolling around with Dracos and guns with drums and, and shots fired calls that used to be like, all you hear is a gunshot and a citizen will say, Hey, I heard what sounded like a 12 gauge down the street, maybe one or two shots or what we went from hearing a lot of like just shots fired two, three, four shots to what would be like the equivalent of 30 to 40 rounds, like a mag dump. Yeah. And so there's shell casings all out in the street, which also I would tell my detectives that were working those cases, like, look, human behavior, guys used to pop shots with like high points and stuff and take off running. Mm -hmm. Now you got dudes with glocks and, and drums and they're standing flat foot in the middle of the street and just doing a mag dump and then walking yeah. away. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, there's no, there's no fear or worry that a unit's going to jump out of the cut and scoop them up and catch them, you know? Yeah. Well, there, there's, there's so many aspects that, I mean, if, if we talk about it too much, people start creating these conspiracy theories about what's really going on. But, mm -hmm. you know, like in Memphis, where our crime rate's fairly high. Mm -hmm. And most Memphians hate that, you know. Mm -hmm. Everybody hates the crime rate being high, but people hate the stigma. You know, you ask somebody from Nashville, oh, why would I go to Memphis? It's dangerous. It's like any big city is if you go to the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. It, it, it's like mm -hmm. it, it's there's plenty of safe places in Memphis. Memphis is an amazing city. Um, but a big part of it is we've got a DA and has this no bail 
crap going on. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you've got a 16 year old kid that carjacks somebody with a pistol Mm -hmm. and he's back at home that night. Yes. And it's kind of like, what did that kid learn Mm -hmm. outside of the fear of when the cop first arrested him? But he he gets to go home. It's just it's something that is it's bizarre how that all works. <clears throat> well, and and you know, twenty years from now, when people are studying this era, that'll all come into play. Yeah, and yeah, and, and with the internet, you know, people can research things so easily now. You'll see that trend of district attorneys that are pushing that kind of agenda, and a lot of times. I don't believe, well, let's say this. I don't believe district attorneys necessarily um, have evil intent or want to see people suffer. No. I think sometimes people sit in a room and say, I need a good idea, or there's a theory pushed <clears throat> that, you know, oh, well, it's, it's kind of the rehabilitation versus punishment aspect. Yeah. And so in, in law enforcement, you'll see it every 15, 20 years resurface. And so right now people are pushing things like that, like, like no, no bail or, you know, um, no, no restrictions or no, no, um, excessive bail. Yeah. Or, you know, most States have raised the arrest age from 16 mm-hmm. to 18. Yeah. So literally when you look at a lot of cities, victims and suspects in their murders, so, mm-hmm. And, and I'll talk about here in just a second why some cities have very low murder rates, but can have three times the amount of shootings, mm-hmm. you know? So when you look at the, the murder rate and you say, okay, um, what are the demographics of the victim and the suspect in general? Cause sociologists study that. That was my minor in college. It's like, okay, we're going to study society. You see a large portion of many cities of, young black males, probably between 15 and 19 being the victim as well as the suspect. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I tell people a lot of times, like if the the predominant gangs you have in your city are homogenous and they won't open ranks in in enrollment or recruiting. And like a lot, a lot of your East coast bloods will only stay African-American males or females. Like they, they won't break those rules. Yeah. So anyway, you end up getting into that and you look at, if you raise the arrest age to 18, there's going to be a spike Yeah. because if the arrest age is 16, then the gang learns, okay, you can go out and shoot someone at 15 mm-hmm. and you're not going to get locked up necessarily and be locked up, you know, for six months until your, your uh, court date or your um, trial date, you know, as it court dates get continued. Yeah. So there are actual conversations that have been held like that where ranking yeah. members will say, no, you're going to put in work because you're 15. Yeah. You know, your, your brothers over here are older and have too many flags or have too many um, felonies. Yeah. They can't put in that work. Cause if they get caught, they're, they're gone. You know yeah. what I mean? So you'll see juveniles being exploited within gangs because of that. Once that arrest age gets raised. And I think most States now everything is 18 be- mm-hmm. because of theories of trying to break that pipeline, you know, like that kids were supposedly in this pipeline of getting yeah. in trouble in school and going straight to prison. I kind of understand that, but also without getting into sidetracking into that. But when you raise that age, just like you said, you're kind of conditioning um, young juveniles in a gang 
that you can do what you basically want to do yeah. under murder. You know what I mean? Like you can even shoot at someone yeah. and still not be handcuffed and put into a facility for oh, two or three days or five days or whatever until you can get in front of a judge in a juvenile court. So there have been cases that I've talked to people and it's like, there are crews that were doing carjackings and robberies and shootings, like violent crimes. And oftentimes, depending on the jurisdiction, that the juveniles were not even getting any kind of secure custody or anything like that. So just mm-hmm. like you said, if you're working gangs or you're working these criminal organizations and a 16-year-old goes out there and commits a carjacking and comes back and everybody's like, he didn't even have to lay down for one day. It, it, it's like being in a classroom with a substitute teacher. You know what I mean? Like someone bows up on the substitute and she doesn't do anything. Then the next person does, you know, it's the same thing. And that's what, what people will learn when they go back and study all these trends right now is that's exactly what's going on. And so, so Memphis, uh, Nashville, Tennessee to North Carolina, South Carolina, all the way down to Florida, Georgia, all of it is open territory for gangs and motorcycle clubs. Well, and I think a big problem is, well, let me, let me preface this with, there are people who are more left-leaning and they're more for the loving, caring, let's, you know, do this. There's people who are more extreme, right. And they're all for throw them underneath the jail and hope they Mm -hmm. rot. You know, I think there's a, there's a, a good gray area to find between the two. Yeah, but it all boils down to operant conditioning, right? Mm. It's BF B. Skinner mm-hmm. is one of my favorite psychologists, <laughs> you know, behaviorist. Yes. Yeah, and if you do an actor behavior mm-hmm. and something positive comes towards you, then you have a higher tendency to repeat that actor behavior. If mm-hmm. you do an active or behavior and something negative happens to you, you are less likely to repeat that actor behavior. So if I rob someone at gunpoint and I don't shoot anybody. I don't hurt anybody. And I'm 16 years old and I get arrested at first, but then I get to be at home that night, chilling with my buddies and my family and everything else. But I've also got that five grand I got from robbing this person Mm -hmm. in my pocket. The negative of being arrested and taken to jail for a couple of hours does not outweigh the five grand in my pocket. Right. Right. If, if I do that actor behavior and I go to jail and I'm sitting there and my mom's got to come off 10 grand. Well, now she's got to come out of that five grand. I I, I stole, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they didn't get it. So she still gets to use that, but she also has to use five more grand of her money. And yeah. then I get home and she's beating on me because, and I'm not advocating beating kids, right. but uh, the, a lot of these kids don't come from the greatest family mm-hmm. atmosphere. And a, a lot of times when there's uh, lower education and just not experience, that's what they do. That's how they think you deal with things. You beat kids. Uh, I'm torn on it. And this is going to be a total ADD rabbit trail. You know, I, I come from a home where it was like wooden spoons, spatulas, whatever they could mm. get their, you know, my mm. mom could get her hands on. Um, I'm not a fan of that. Open-handed spanking. Okay. I can kind of see that. I never really had to do it with my kids because, you know, they would have repercussions for what they did beyond spankings and stuff. Mm-hmm. When they were little, I did it a lot because I think there's something to be said for if I go to touch the stove as a four-year-old, 
and that's going to hurt. And I feel my butt get spanked and that hurt. I now equate stove hurt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a matter of understanding the psychology, but, but in, in the crime rate thing, it, how do we justify a very slight slap on the wrist because we want to care for these kids. And, and I'm all about that too. So the, there's a, there's a quote I heard once about abortion and I'm going to get controversial here. Okay. <laughs> I am not going to say whether I'm pro or anti-abortion or anything mm-hmm. along those, but I heard someone go off on somebody once uh, they were going on an anti-abortion rant and the guy looked at him and said, okay, well, how do you feel about the system and welfare? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my God, sucking on the teeth of the government, blah, 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 blah. He's like, well, do you know a lot of those kids may or may not have been aborted? And I was like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. So it's like the reason I'm going down that road, mm-hmm. don't bitch and moan about being too tough on these kids and saying we need to care for them. But then once they're back out into the system, don't bitch and moan about them being in the system. You know, (laughs) you you get the people that are like, we should do loving and kindness and take care for them. And let's not give them bail. Well, are you going and holding the kid's hands as he walks back into mama's or grandma's house or dad's Mm -hmm. house? No, you're not. You're, you're spewing this, wonderful stuff but you're not doing it you know Mm -hmm. if i met somebody that was for the no bail if i met somebody that was for this cushy and they started a nonprofit to handhold these juveniles as they go back and transition back into life right after they get arrested i'd be like okay i'm willing to watch how this plays out Mm -hmm. but we don't get that we get people that are like oh cush peace love let's pet them and coddle them and send them back home only for the cameras because they want more votes. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and there's so much stuff in our world now where legislators and DAs and judges who are elected officials put out potentially good ideas, but they don't follow through with them because they're only saying it to get the votes and the front end, which in the Memphis situation with no bail for these juveniles and, and I'm uh, please anybody listening, it may be more intricately detailed than I'm just saying no bail. It may mm-hmm. be more than that. Uh, but that's the general idea of what's going on with the juvenile crime here. Um, but, but you get stuff like that here where it's like, I got a great idea. Let's no bail. Let's, let's, you know, kind of try this out, but there's no actions after Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. You want to do a no bail system? Great. How are we going to make sure that 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 juvenile that got arrested for robbery, and you gave him no bail, and you're like, "Here's your nice. We care about you. We want you to try to do this and this and this." But once they're mm-hmm. out that door at two o one, they're mm-hmm. gone. You know, whoa, what yeah. just happened? Dude, it just gave me like a digital thumbs up. Yeah, I did this and like a digital thumbs up came on the the screen. I'm like, whoa, that's weird. Um, I thought I I was seeing something, man. I I thought I fell into like a vat of hallucinogenics here in Memphis or something. It's like, whoa, I just did a thumbs up and there was a cartoon thumbs up there. How did that happen? That was weird. I don't know. And it it makes me feel uncomfortable, dude. Yeah, that's weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, anyways, 
but yeah, the, it, it's like, okay, great. You want to do this great little cushy, you know, love hug stuff. If it works, mm-hmm. it works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying it, but you have to have follow through, mm-hmm. you know, um, my, my fiance, she runs a, a nonprofit called Thistle and Bee. Um, and it's, it's, it's all about follow through what they do. It's a two year residential program for women that have been trafficked and have addition, addiction issues from it. Um, Mm -hmm. and they, they, they get them out of either halfway houses or jail or rehab. And they kind of help them with that whole rehab process. They have to prove that they're, they're clean. Um, they help them with their probation issues, all this stuff They get them in a safe house because, you know, a lot of times when you've been trafficked, you've got somebody that's over you like a hawk because you're their commodity in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they get them in safe houses and then they teach them uh, through, you know, the, the thistle and bee part. The bee is B-E-E. Uh, through getting honey and creating products with that honey and they go to craft fairs and they do all this and it gives them a job. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them stay and work for the organization and some of them move on and, and do great things, uh, get them housing, cars, everything they need to kind of get back on their feet. And there's a sisterhood that is involved there, but it's, it's follow through from the start to the mm-hmm. end. You know, it, it's something that they did have the, Hey, let's, care with compassion to help these people out but they do it they 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 hold their hand through the process and a lot of these people need that um especially you know the trafficking stuff and wool Mm -hmm. rabbit trail here too Mm -hmm. Uh, trafficking is not what you see in the movies it's Mm -hmm. not always that white van that pulls up next to you at walmart and as soon as you get out they yank you in the van and the next thing you're in the sex industry Mm -hmm. um does it happen yeah that happens um but most of the time it's like a family member you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a boyfriend you know your boyfriend takes you to this party and you're like, here, take the, take this lower tab. Oh man, this feels great. I love this. Hey, let's get some more lower tabs. And next thing you know, your boyfriend's going, Hey, do this favor for my buddy over here sexually. And he'll hook us up with lore tabs for the month. Mm-hmm. Um, next thing you know, you're in and, and, yeah. and you're in that trafficking world. Um, it's not always like the movie taken where all of a sudden you're in this international sex ring going to Dubai yeah. and all. No, yeah. it's, it's in podunk, uh, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's in, you know, little, you know, Smith County, Alabama. And I don't know if, yeah. if you know, I'm just throwing names out there. People so yeah. Smith out Al- yeah. Smith County, Alabama law enforcement goes, we don't have any trafficking here. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's something that's, that's, that is not always what you see, but, but what her organization does, it, it's got the follow through. Uh, so. so it's it's one of those things where you see what the behavior is, but now you have to change it. And the yeah. and the only way to change from the outside someone's behavior is by doing that, having consequences. Yeah. So I've been around long enough when I was a patrol officer. Now, back then it was prostitution, just straight yeah. up individuals feeding their drug habit. Yeah. So we had not really experienced, at least in my district and on the patrol level, what later was termed guerrilla pimping. And that and that is a term I'll go into that was self-imposed by guys. It's not like law enforcement or the media came up with some kind of term. 
Yeah. This was this was a term by these guys. Anyway, I'll get to that in a second. But on patrol, several of our beats or our areas we were responsible for, you would literally see the same women out walking. And all they would do is wait for a stranger to pick them up or a known back then they called them Johns, jump into the car, they turn a trick for like twenty dollars, and then immediately they go down the street, buy a crack rock. And then go smoke it. And then that cycle stays going. So early on, I was fortunate, man. I was probably like a year on year and a half, something like that. And I got picked to do a street crimes rotation. So basically a couple of officers get pulled, you get one Sergeant and you don't, you, you do everything you can to break up crime. Mm-hmm. So if the crime of the day or the problems you're having, like in this case was prostitution, then the Sergeant's like, Hey, that's what we're going to run prostitution projects until they're no longer on the street. They have to become somebody else's problem or whatever. So he was from a different generation that didn't fully understand the resources that we could have and utilize. So at that time it was you, you would charge the women for the actual prostitution. And we would also use officers um, out and about and that sort of thing. One of the things I always tell people in my classes and stuff is when you're developing informants, don't just have a person buying drugs or, or, or whatever, you know, like as you've developed an informant, talk to them about what they've got going on in life. Because mm-hmm. one of the first things we did is there was a, there was a girl that was like always around what we call the hot spots. So people were getting shot, killed, like she was always around, but, but also she was battling her addiction and she was about my age. Right. So what we would do is I would get like plain clothes, like regular clothes. She would ride with me and we would just kind of scoop through those areas. People would see me riding with her and just assume I'm a John. Right. But I could do surveillance and it looks like I'm talking to her and I've actually got a radio in my lap. I can talk, relay to the team. Hey, what I'm seeing. But also in that downtime, I'm asking her just about life and, and right. we kind of built that rapport because I wanted to understand how in the world can someone do this day in and day out? They, they were not born, you know, uh, turning tricks and, and smoking crack. Somebody had to introduce it. Yeah. And she told a story and I won't get into too much detail, but it was a boyfriend that got her introduced to originally to cocaine, powder cocaine. And then they couldn't afford that. And their lifestyle started to change. And then he said, Hey, let's try this. Basically no. start smoking crack. And then it was now this is how you can feed this habit or you're going to the same area to buy crack. And it just, so that was the evolution I saw on patrol. Then as a few years passed and that area of the city got more and more people coming in from other areas. I think some people realized they have independent women out there yeah, and they basically come in and tell them, no, you're going to work for me. And it's by force. So then yeah. what they would do is, is rent a hotel room or flip a clerk at a, at a small, you know, cheap hotel and pay them, you know, 20, 30 bucks under the table to get a room off the books. Yeah. And then they take this girl, put them in that room and then say, Hey, you're going to turn tricks and I'm getting, you know, 30% of the money or whatever. And so that was when the term, these guys were like, we're gorilla pimps. Like we come in, and we'll beat you. You know what I mean? Like we take it by force and it's now our organization. Then you also had some other guys that were really getting crazy into organizing this stuff and running it through Backpage and these other websites, you know, and utilizing those. 
and utilizing these hotels. And then it just, you start to see it on multiple levels. Mm. Well, then law enforcement has to address it and go, okay, the women are actually the victims here. Let's treat them as victims. Stop just piling charges onto them. You know, you know, you're they're running out of the hotels now. And like years later, I ran a, a, or I didn't run it, but I was part of a hotel project. And that's all we did was to address the prostitution. Then that mm-hmm. we had driven off the street into a hotel in the hotels, you know, yep. <clears throat> but the neighborhoods were like, thank you because yep. their daughters and sons were out, you know, walking around and playing and there's used condoms out in the street. And I mean, it, yep. people are turning tricks in like other people's backyards. Like it, it was disgusting. So yeah. then it gets driven into the hotels, but then you got to address it as well. So yeah. now everything has kind of evolved into that. And then there were actual brothels that were being run. And like one gang came in and just did a straight up robbery murder. Like there's crazy stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And so like yeah. you said, even though you may have a small town, a small organization, if they find a house or a location like that, and one of these brothels was actually rotating girls, mm-hmm. they would bring girls in and they all had a bedroom there and they were turning tricks there. And then they would drive them out to another location and bring new girls in. Yeah. It, it was absolutely horrible to see that, that side of life and how people can abuse people and make money off of it. And it is a commodity that never runs out. So a lot yeah. of these drug dealers started realizing, you know, they're getting more time for trafficking cocaine or, or crack or heroin as, as the, the market changed for addiction. Mm-hmm. They started realizing I can't get a plug or a connect or a source, you know, long enough to keep, you know, making money off of this stuff. And it's just cumbersome. And these police officers or these, you know, these age or these, um, teams have adapted so well these drug operations we will pop them left and right no as they evolve they said basically these women they they just turn tricks we just we keep the men coming in and we keep taking the money um so it it was horrible so i will say that most jurisdictions can kind of agree human trafficking and the guys and women that are part of these organizations and run them should get the maximum sentence. And one of the first gang members I remember who got charged with human trafficking and the jail phone calls where people are confused. They don't understand what it is. No. And then someone Googles it and they're basically like, bro, you're looking at 99 years in prison. Yeah. And, and in his mind, it was like no big deal because he saw the girl, you know, as, as I guess less than human It is yeah. horrible. Like those anyway, um, yes. So the trend yeah. is changing to do just that. So if you're, if you can help someone break that cycle and, and teach them, uh, a craft or kind of have a safety net until mm-hmm. they can break that cycle, the same thing sometimes can be applied to gang members yeah, or people who are caught in this cycle at a young age of being part of an organization or a crew, they become dependent on that crew. If you charge them for a violent crime, but there's there are no repercussions, then they adapt and go, okay, so what? Like, so mm-hmm. what? You charge me, and I haven't I haven't been processed? No one cares about my court date because when you're young and your frontal lobe hasn't fully developed, you're still impulsive. You're not thinking usually long term. The thing is, I think, is just consequences. Like mm-hmm. everything needs to be consequence based. So when I was a kid. I learned very quickly, don't pop off your mouth at the older kids in the neighborhood. 
Mm-hmm. You, you get stomped. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and and yep. physically, and I'm not advocating young kids fighting. That's how I learned not to run my mouth. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true, though. I mean, it, it, yeah. I, I, yeah, I there, had a little, yeah. There, there's this weird fine line with that, right? Mm-hmm. It, I was bullied. I mean, okay. I, it's hard to say because I'm a six, seven <laughs> giant bearded tattoo guy now. Yeah. But up until, you know, seventh, eighth grade, and when I started growing bigger, I was bullied. I was Zeke the geek, Zeke the freak, Zeke the weak. You know, oh, man. Uh, people would pick on me after school. I, I I remember, never forget my first fight was in sixth grade because this group would always wait for me after school. And then finally I'm like, okay, I'll fight him. And I picked the smallest one of all. Of them. <laughs> yeah. But they were, they were not going to stop until I got in a fight. But yeah. there's something to be said about the toughness I gained from that. Yeah. Now, am I advocating bullying? No, because there's been some weird shit that has come from that too. Yeah, you know, a lot yeah. of these shooters they were they were mm-hmm. bullied, and I'm not saying that them shooting was justified at all. I let me yeah. lay that out. What they did was horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, people that do bad things are pushed mm-hmm. and pushed, and then something yeah. breaks. And that's mm-hmm. something that you and I have where I got bullied and I never thought about shooting up a school. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a little glass, you know, protective bar in my brain that I just didn't get pushed far enough. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never had those thoughts, so I can't say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but d- is that what's going on or are they just bad people? You know, and I, I don't think yeah. it's that, you know, but but there's something to be said for getting punched in the face when you do yes. something stupid. Yeah. You know? I, I think yeah. the I think the the catalyst or, or the, or the connection yeah. for me, yeah. I, I know the exact uh, time it happened and you can Google this dude. I've mentioned him before. I grew up with a guy, James Vaughn, who uh-huh. is a, is a big time tattoo artist. He did several seasons on ink masters. He was on season one. I think he was like third runner up, but in the tattoo world, he's legit. He's just a good guy self-made man mm-hmm. when we were growing up man, that dude was wild right yeah. so we were all into punk and skating i used to fight a lot with my brother and i hate that uh, i th- nothing makes me like it breaks my heart now as a man to, to hear any kind of brothers argue or fight or anything like that mm. but when i was a kid it, it, it was bad and i got used to fighting with my brother but i popped off at this dude james and i think he was like fifth grade i was probably like third yeah. And he scooped me up like he was Dusty Rhodes or something and just body slammed me. And it knocked the air out of me. Yeah. And then just got on top of me and was just giving me them left-right combos, man. And so yeah. my brother pulled him off of me. But my brain made an immediate like connection of, oh, I did that. Yeah. Like I ran my mouth at that dude. Nope. And he came over there and promptly beat me down. Yeah. I'm not saying I want to see third and fifth graders beating each other up. No. But but I learned very quickly, okay, my mouth is what can get me into these situations. Yeah. So as I got older, like I really did not, I, I just tried to temper that. I got into a lot of fights, but I yeah. don't ever remember starting a fight after that. Like I just didn't do it. Now to the school shooter things, I believe, like you said, those guys wanted to fight you for no reason. You weren't right. doing anything wrong. Right, right. So, so then what ends up happening is when you're being targeted and you, and no matter what, it's like, I'm trying to live my life and you want to keep interrupting my life and mm-hmm. you want to keep threatening violence. 
at some point you're going to get it. Now, my when when I was a kid, my dad had told me, no matter what, if if somebody's bullying you and you don't start it, you have every right to end yep. it. And I he had said, the same rule. Yeah. Yep. He's like, and you do not have to use your fist. Yep. He's like, you pick up a stick, a bottle, a rock, you do whatever you got to do, and you end it. Yeah. And when he was a kid, he had, he basically had a paper route, like legit paper route. He rode a bike. He did his route when he's like 12 years old. Older kid would rob him, run his pockets when he yeah. knew he was heavy, when he, when he got paid for his route. And my grandfather was career Navy, very tough guy. And apparently it was like, this won't happen. Or my grandmother told him, basically, you better deal with it. Yeah. And he had a, one of those little like eight ounce Coke bottles, the real thick bottles from back in the day. Mm -hmm. He left it on his bike. And when cuz came up to, to run his pockets, he clocked him across the head and knocked him out cold. He didn't even bust the bottle, just knocked him out. Yeah. And my dad learned that lesson that that guy never tried to rob him. Didn't even make eye contact with him anymore in the neighborhood. So growing up, I guess like I had, you know, a father who was teaching me, yeah, violence is okay if someone pushes you. You've got to right. Right to defend yourself and others. He used to yeah. always say that, like, don't sit around and let other people get bullied. It's it's not something that is made to make you look like a badass. Right. It is it is yeah. something to defend yourself and your friends and your family, mm-hmm. violent wise. And, and, yeah. and as we're having this conversation, you know, I said, okay, is there something in their brain that just gets pushed to the limit of snapping? Mm-hmm. And I, then I'm thinking as, as we're talking, I'm like, I've been pushed to the limit where I fought, mm-hmm. but never have I thought about killing, you mm-hmm. know, never have I thought, you know, I'll show them I will kill right. people. That's never popped into my brain. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, now let's go back to operant conditioning and, and behaviorism and everything else. Yes. Okay. Did they come from a household that dad was working all the time? Mom was working all the time and they raised themselves on video games. So there was no, mm-hmm. Hey, compassion for other people. People have lives, <clears throat> empathy, mm-hmm. sympathy, all these things that are good for a human being to have that will stop you from mm-hmm. wanting to end someone's life. Like even when I got in fights and I was just pure unadulterated rage. Yeah. I'm never thinking, I hope my fist goes through their skull. Yeah. It, it's always like, I'm pissed and stop doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's where the rage was directed. So I think maybe it's less of something snapping and breaking that you and I have and yeah. more of, okay, maybe the way they were raised did not have, it didn't instill something in their brain to stop them from going to the point of murder. You know, maybe it's that, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's a little bit of everything. And also when you and I were growing up, I cannot remember. Well, actually let me back up. I can remember the first time I heard about somebody indiscriminately shooting up a place mm-hmm. and it was a McDonald's shooting in probably 84, 85. Did, did, an old, did an old school air conditioner just turn on in your room? <laughs> man, hush your mouth, man. You don't want to hear heard, about that. All I heard was, I'm like, wow, that sounds like the air conditioner I had in the 70s. <laughs> hey, you got to stay cool in, in the studio. <laughs> all right, so back to McDonald's. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it, but it, sadly, it was it was a, a shooting when I was a kid that happened in a McDonald's, and I can't mm-hmm. remember what city. I just remember it being on the news. Yeah. And we went to McDonald's like maybe once a month or something like that. So it, my brain made that association, but that was it. it, it yeah. I, I didn't have a device in my hand or a news, a 24 hour news cycle that tells me every time somebody's basically committed an act of violence, it feels like. Yeah. So I do believe there is something to be said about kids growing up in an environment where active shooter is on their brain constantly yeah so so where it may not have been an option for us or it wasn't in our forethoughts you know now all of a sudden we've got it constantly like boom 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 and a kid that does get picked on or at least feels isolated without getting into whether they've got antisocial personality disorder or, or anything else like that if there's nothing that can be registered it could be something like that and I think that if you go back and study like during the lockdowns um, and there was kind of like this break and there wasn't a whole lot that seemed to be going on, I have to assume people were still feeling the way they were feeling mm-hmm. and just that cycle got broken for whatever reason. Now, some people would say, oh, well, cause schools, most of the schools were not in. So therefore that pressure wasn't there. But active shooters are not always teenagers from schools either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think there was a break there. And I think there's something to um, that type of attention. And, mm. and some would say, you know, as you study active shooters and you kind of put them in these brackets, the same way people do with serial killers and organized versus disorganized and what were they seeking and that sort of thing. And it's like some love that media attention as well. You know, you do have active shooters that yeah. want to stack the bodies up. Yep. So it, it's just it's one of those things that I think that if we as a society just remember how we treat others, mm-hmm. it, it has that ripple effect. Yeah. So yeah, people have people, you know, I, I just I, I like being nice to people. That's the way I grew up. And the men I was around, whether it was my dad, my uncles, you know, um, Pop Warner football coaches, like whatever it was, I was fortunate that most of the men were very even tempered mm-hmm. would knock you out flat if you deserved it. But very rarely did I ever see that. You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like they were running around looking for a fight. Yeah. Um, but, <clears throat> but it was that idea of like, you always show kindness until yeah. someone is not going to allow you to do that. Well, and that's, you know, th- th- you know when you have these discussions, I-, I like having them with people like you that can see, every viewpoint right because mm-hmm. you have to look at every viewpoint if you look at only your viewpoint yeah. then it's it's not going to work yeah but you know and what i'm about to say i'm not in any way shape or form you know here's my legal disclaimer mm-hmm. justifying what they did or and i can't remember if it was columbine or one of the ones after that where one of the students was talking about how they were going around and just shooting people and killing them Mm-hmm. And they got to them and they even said, Hey, you were pretty cool to me. And they left them alone. Yeah. And am I, am I justifying what they did? If you were mean to somebody, you, or if, if somebody's mean to you, you should shoot them. No, hell no. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we're talking about the kindness and, and being kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard to even have, this discussion because my first knee jerk reaction is 
be good to people or they're going to kill you. You know, uh, uh, yeah. not knee, not knee jerk reaction, but as I'm saying this story, mm-hmm. you know, that might be what people are th- saying. Is he saying be kind or people will kill you? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying yeah. there's something to be said for okay, that may have been what pushed these people to do that wherever it was. Is it wrong that they did that? Hell yes. 100%. You know, if somebody bullies you, it doesn't mean you get to kill them. Right. Um, it, it doesn't even mean if they bully you verbally that you get to punch them. You know, right. we're, we're back yeah. to my dad's yeah. rule, your dad's rule. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody bullied me, you just let it roll off your back like water. Mm-hmm. It hurt. You know, my dad would say that and I'd roll my eyes like, whatever. You didn't hear what they called me or said to me. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Now, if somebody lays their hands on you, mm-hmm. then you can lay your hands on them. That was that was my rule. You know, you, mm-hmm. you better not ever start a fight, but you, you're allowed to finish it. Yeah. Um. So you, we get into this weird, hairy situation. And I think some of these discussions is where people come up with full circle. You know, we're kind of, mm-hmm. you like that? Don't you love it oh, when you're yeah. in an interview and you come first full circle to what you <laughs> yeah, talked about yeah, like yeah. 30 minutes ago? Yeah. Maybe those these discussions, like we're saying now, is what started the people going, hey, let's be kinder and nice and cushy mm-hmm. and love and peace and, you know, no bail because that'll – but but they they do that for the votes and for the image and the TV clips, but mm-hmm. they don't freaking ball up, nut up, and and follow through with these kids or or, or even adults. Let's <laughs> even go to adults, yeah. you know. But mm-hmm. you you said something a little bit ago too, where um you know when people do something and there's no repercussions, mm-hmm. you know, human nature is to just keep doing that. And I'm going to take it a step further. When you're a kid and you do something you think you might get in trouble for mm-hmm. and nobody gets in trouble, you don't get yelled at, you don't get grounded or nothing. You don't, I mean, yeah, you do it again, mm-hmm. but you, you push a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's human nature. Human nature is let's push this envelope as far as we can until it rips open. Yeah. You know, so if you got a kid that, you know, steal some gum or a candy bar from a gas station and gets away with it. Mm-hmm. Then he goes back in and he steals two or three candy bars and gets away with it. This is how every criminal is everyone. Mm-hmm. And in, in, and if, if, if somebody listening says, Oh, I've never done anything like bullshit. I stole a piece of gum from a gas station when I was like four, you know, yeah. Yeah. luckily what happened to me is my mom saw it. She knew yeah. I didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I I got in big old trouble. Yeah, I think I was older than four. I think it was like six or seven, maybe. Um, yeah, I got in huge trouble. Uh, so you know, I stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. But most people will continue to push the limit. Yeah. There, the, I'll admit it. You know, I think the statute of limitations is up. I'm not going to say the store just in case it's not. When I was in elementary school, I guess is. Yeah, probably elementary school. We would go to this store. And you remember the show Mask, the cartoon Mask? Yeah. 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 So there was the, they had the coolest toys. It was kind of yeah. like Transformers and G.I. Joe mesh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they had the coolest toys. Well, this was before SKUs and scanners and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if, if the, if the toy was, you know, $49.99, I would find a sticker that said $5.99. Oh. And I put it over the sticker. I did it once. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I did it again, 
and I got to the higher toys and I kept, and then I kept pushing those limits until finally I thought my balls were as big as basketballs and I get this big old ship that was like a hundred and something dollars and I put a $20 tag on it and the cashier kind of went, I don't think that's right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, well, that's what it said. And I freaked out and I got out of there. Well, when I got caught, mm-hmm. I didn't get in trouble, but I got caught knowing it was wrong and I stopped, yeah. you know, and yeah. that was it after that. Um, and I think in my head as a kid, you don't understand the value of a dollar and all that. Mm-hmm. I think I was just fine. I was still paying for it. Just not as much as it was supposed to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was, yeah. but, but uh, human nature is, is let's keep pushing it farther and as you don't get in trouble, even if you think it's morally wrong, you'll try to convince yourself of ways that, well, you know, it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, I, I had a friend that cheated on his wife. Uh, they're no longer together. So I think it's okay to say this, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not going to say names, but cheated on his wife with his high school girlfriend. Mm. And the thought was, well, we were together in high school. So it's, they justified it. Well, it's not really mm-hmm. cheating if we were our, if we've already done it before, you know, we could do it again. And, yeah. and it's like humans, when they do something that they know is wrong, they try to figure out a way to justify it in their brain. Yeah. So <clears throat> back to what I started with this, your, your statement on human nature is to keep doing it. If if kids who get busted for stealing that gum get away mm-hmm. with it, um, then they're going to steal five packs of gum. And then they're going to steal a magazine. And then they're going to go, you know what? I could rob this store. Um, yeah. Now, let's say when they rob the store, the cop finds them and arrests them. Well, they go to jail. That's scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And after a couple hours in jail, they're like, all right, go home. Wait, how how much does that cost my family? Nothing. There's no bail. Mm -hmm. Well, when do I go to trial? We're not sure. The courts are slammed. It could be a year from now. Yeah. That's a year of thinking I got away with this Mm -hmm. because a underdeveloped brain in his home for a year, still hanging out with his buddies. There's no ankle monitor. There's no probation. I'm just like I was at yesterday before I got arrested. Yeah. And so what are they going to do in that time frame? I got away with this. Now I'm going to get away with something bigger. And does it escalate even to the point of murder? You know? Yes, it does. There's got to be repercussions. There has yeah, to be repercussions. It, it, there does. And it it's one of those things where someone would say, yeah, but when uh, a juvenile is locked up in any kind of facility, they then begin to whatever, make associations with other criminals. And then, you know, and it's true. I I don't, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have anybody committing crimes. Yeah. Like legit. I used to come into work and I would have encounters with guys and I just be like, look, man, like one day I want to come to work and everybody behaves. Yeah. And so I'm completely bored and I don't know what to do with myself because nobody's out here shooting, robbing, beating people up, selling drugs. You know what I mean? Like I, but, but we live in a world where people do that. And oftentimes if you talk to enough people who are career criminals, that's the difference. So a lot of, so a lot of people will say, well, this is a good idea in theory because it it will do this and this and this. And they base that. And usually it's a, a college professor or someone who is doing some research and they write a book and 
they kind of think, hey, I've, I've, I brought, you know, I've, I've come up with this solution that's going to break this cycle of juvenile crime. But they don't understand people operate from where, where, where they grew up. And just like you said, what has shaped them? Yeah. So when people are already at 16 years old, 15, 16, 17, committing carjackings, yeah. I'm talking about straight up gun, like it's 1988 or something, you know, pulling a gun out of our waistband, sticking it in someone's face, yanking the driver out and stealing the car. Like that's, there were times when I was like, okay, well, at least it was a carjacking and not an actual shooting. At least they didn't shoot that person. Yeah. At least the crew that they're involved in, whatever set it is, at least right now they're not shooting other people. Yeah. Like, but we're still talking about juveniles committing very violent crimes. But the idea of, okay, there has to be repercussions. Yeah. For for those types of violent behavior, because if you're sitting in a, in a group of people talking, and someone is laughing and joking, which juveniles will do, it's mm-hmm. you know, there's not always a lot of remorse because right. they're, they're still young and they're developing. And then it's almost this this worst case of peer pressure where someone's like, oh, well, they did a carjacking. I'm going to do it a step more. Or, you know, that's where we get a lot yeah. of footage on people's phones where they're beating up other kids in a neighborhood yeah. and tell them to run their pockets or just being like, y'all want the dude's dunks or whatever. And then they just go up and roll a kid and they're filming it and thinking it's funny. And there's this like level that where an adult goes, how can one, how can a kid just victimize other people that way? And then two, this theory comes in that basically says, don't do anything to them. And I, and I understand what they think is that, Oh, well, the kid will grow out of this behavior. Mm -hmm. The the problem is you don't grow out of violence like that. It actually only gets worse because it doesn't go checked or, you're not locked up and incarcerated away from the population that you've been victimizing. And let's even go deeper with the locked up part. You know, I think there are some people out there. All right. Let's, when we were kids, Mm -hmm. when we watched movies, especially Westerns, uh, Mm -hmm. old classic actions that involved something with the jail. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to go to jail because in the movies it was, you get bread and water and a cot <laughs> yeah and that's it mm-hmm. uh, you were lucky if you had a toilet and a sink in your in your cell right mm-hmm. that's what our image of jail was i didn't want to go there yeah well now there's reality shows showing jails and they've got cable tv and they've got public time and they hang out and they play cards and they do mm-hmm. if you were a kid that came up with nothing you didn't even have a tv in your house mm-hmm that jail looks better than your home. You, um, have, you yeah. have structure there. You don't have structure in your home. You have cable TV. You don't have cable TV. You, you've got a brotherhood you can form within the mm-hmm. jail where you're playing cards and you're, you've got a brother. you got somebody that has your back. Jail is more attractive to them than the real yeah. life. So have we gone too far in making jail this cushy place back to the peace, love, huggy, lovey, dovey, you know, stuff. Oh, we shouldn't treat human beings like this. Or should we? Well, yeah, I think, (laughs) I think that the idea is you don't like, do not look at someone. This is what I look at who is convicted of a violent crime and and they have to go serve time in prison. 
do not look at them as less than human. Like right. there is a there is a side that society wants to do, mm-hmm. and that is to be like they're the evil person and they're horrible and I hate them and and I hope they 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 suffer and misery and all that. There's also that human side of them that once they get in prison and once they kind of recalibrate, depending on the environment, um, things can change. I'm not talking about the most violent of people. Yeah. I'm just saying people who end up in prison doing some some time. Yeah. But there is this idea that while you're in prison, if there is, you know, c- constructive things going on, guys are learning how to weld and getting out of prison and making six figure salaries. Sure. Or learning plumbing, electric work, whatever it is. They're learning a trade that sadly, growing up, I watched a lot of young kids. I would always ask like, hey, you know, where do you see yourself when you're 18? Where do you see yourself when you're 25, 30? Mm -hmm. And some kids are just like, I don't know. And I've already built rapport with them. So it's not like a complete stranger walking up. But yeah, and they just like, I don't know. Or, you know, you find a kid who's like, I'm going to be whatever. Like sometimes guys are just be like, I'm joining the army. I got an uncle yeah. in the army or a dad was in the army. Grandfather's like, okay, they got a plan. Yeah. I don't worry about them too much. They're good. But the guys who are like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to be. Yeah. And it's this idea of, of not having a goal or a path. Yeah. Yeah. And then you encounter other people who have been locked up and guys will come back and be like, no, nah, I laid down the yard for like a year and a half. It won't that bad. And it, and it depends on the facility they go to. And it depends mm-hmm. on if they are part of a set that's already prevalent in that correctional facility. Yeah. So if on the street, somebody is say nine trade blood and they go to a facility where the majority or kind of the controlling population is nine trade or at least blood affiliated, then it's kind of like, okay, I don't have to be on edge as much or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, there yeah. were, like you said that like, and I'm not saying make prison like I, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is like, look at people as human beings, yeah. look at the best they can do. Mm-hmm. And then if they are in prison and they're learning a trade or a skill, you know, and they're treated with dignity in that sense, but you can still have some austere environment. Like you don't yeah. have to have cable TV. You don't have to have. Right. You know, and, it, and I think it's that stuff that, that, that kind of gives it that cushy, would I mean even now still the way prisons are now I still would not want to go there but as a kid as a kid seeing like a hard cot and you get bread and water I'm like I'm not going to that place you know that's what the movies told me the jail's like um but uh, you know we're we're talking about punishment right so if you got kids and they let's say you've got a son and a daughter and the son punches the daughter in the face you know, mm-hmm. you don't lay your hands on girls. That's going to, you know, warrant a harsh punishment. Mm-hmm. I still am looking at him as my son. I still love him. He's still a good human being, but he's not going to have shit for six months. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have TV. He's not going to have Xbox. He's not going to get to spend the night with friends. No, you yeah. screwed up and life is not going to be fun because you screwed up. And I think that's where we fail our kids. That's where we fail our criminals in society. That's where we fail at a lot of things because it's like, it's, it's much easier for me to go. 
no Xbox, no TV, no friends over. And then after a week of him going, please, 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 please. I'm just like, Oh God, yes, fine. Go play Xbox. You mm-hmm. know, especially, you know, you, you have a rough day. You, you've, you've had your boss at work yelling at you. You come home, your wife yells at you. And then your kid's like, rah, 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 rah. okay, fine. Just leave me alone. You know, mm-hmm. it's so easy for human beings to, relax and, and go look i got more shit yeah. to deal with on my mind personally than dealing with my son and his xbox mm-hmm. well guess what the moment you do that you 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 let up and then there might be a little bit of i could do something again i may not punch mm-hmm. my sister again but maybe i can do something else because i only had two three days of being grounded um yeah. and and that's where you know even though my parents were tough on me with a lot of stuff and i hated it I'm kind of thankful that they stuck to their guns with mm-hmm. timelines. You know, if I was grounded for a month, I was grounded for a month. And I, if I begged too much, I'd get an extra week every time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that. But I'm also guilty of doing that with my kids, of mm-hmm. being like, yeah, you've been grounded for two weeks. This is really annoying the hell out of me. You're whining. Okay, yeah, you can go play with your friends. And then yeah. afterwards, I'm like, damn it. I just did what I swear I'd never do, you know? And I think people who are kind and they have empathy and compassion. And I agree, you know, I'm one of those people. I agree that you should look at people who do crimes as humans still, Mm -hmm. uh, because I know humans that have done crimes and have felonies and they're amazing people now. Yeah, Uh, A guy I grew up with, he, he got in trouble for drugs selling. He spent time in prison, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's out and he is like the state liaison for addiction issues. He's at the governor's mansion all the time, you know, helping with it. He's turned his life around. Um, Mm -hmm. It happens. It it is possible for people to turn their lives around. And part of it comes from that compassion. And, and somebody probably stepped up in his life and, and said, Hey, look, you're screwing up. Let's, let's fix this. But it takes that somebody that organization and maybe you and I are creating a nonprofit now (laughs) that that okay you want to do the no bail thing Mm -hmm. all right you're getting out with no bail but you're now going to xyz house where they're going to watch you like a hawk make Mm -hmm. sure you're taken care of get you into trade you know I mean it's it's one of those things where like with ours, you know, MGS trade school, that's my, mm-hmm. the school. Um, we teach gunsmithing. <clears throat> I would love, 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 love to be someone that could go into prisons and say, Hey, look, but guess what? It's guns. You know, yeah. you, you get a felony, yeah. you, you can't do our, our, our trade school, Yeah, but m- maybe our school can do something where we go to jails where they haven't got a felony. They're just spending a week or so in jail and say, Hey kid, you're 16 you like guns is obvious. Yeah. If you square yourself away, you can do this career. You know, mm-hmm. you could be a gunsmith, but the moment you get a felony, you're screwed. And yeah. and that dream of being a gunsmith goes out the window. Maybe we could do something like that, but, yeah. but it's, it's still caring and following through after the, the initial slap on the wrist. Yes. And that was, what I was going to mention earlier with young adults. And I would see guys, you know, on the block and, and sometimes all I would hear about is sports or entertainment. So dudes would be like, I'm like, I mean, it was almost like a a catchphrase. I'm going to make it out in the NBA. I'm going to make it out in the NFL or I'm going to make it out as a rapper or whatever. And, and I would always be like, 
you can make it out very easily. There are families, uh, you know, for the last 20, 25 years that have broken this cycle, whereas teenagers became adults, they got jobs. Mm -hmm. They simply got a job and went to work just like everybody else. And then they slowly worked up. They don't keep sometimes the same job they have when they're 16 or 17 or 18 that they have for the next 30 years. Yep. You transition through jobs. And sometimes guys would just be like, man, what are you talking about? Like in their world, the only thing that was acceptable sometimes was entertainment or sports. Yep. And it had to be a million dollars. Like if you didn't have a million dollars, you just couldn't make it out. It was almost yeah. like impossible. And the families that I would encounter just outside of certain areas who grew up there were like, nah, like, you know, I got a job. Like one, one dude was a mechanic and his wife was coming home from work. And there were kids standing in the street. And you know that game, like, dude, just standing in the street, like, you'll go around me. Yeah. So she stopped, honked the horn, and they they cussed her out. Like, she was yeah. another man on the block. And she went home, called her husband. He showed up in his work uniform, you know, with, like, Hulk Hogan 24-inch pythons. Yeah. And that dude was mad and, and called the police and said, you better handle this or I'm going to handle it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? He's like, and he grew up in Section 8 housing. He's like, I, I grew up around dudes like that. I work. I pay my bills. I pay my taxes. I raise my kids. They're not going to disrespect my wife. Like, I'm going to yeah. handle them, you know, yeah. if you don't. So it's one of those things, like, I would love for a guy like that to walk right into the block and be like, I'm going to tell you all what's up. Like, you're going to learn a trade. You're going to learn, at least just learn how to be a, a dependable employee. You will have plenty of work. Like, like legit, I had a dude who had a horrible record, but he was like, I'm done. This gang is BS. He and I had talked about, it's like removing somebody from a cult, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had talked about all the violations that his superiors were doing, but they weren't getting punished. Like all that. He finally saw the light in like his mid twenties and, and he and I were talking. He's like, I got two jobs, man. Like dudes are complaining. They can't find one job. He's like, I got two jobs. And I got a horrible record. Now, yeah. do do I like working at this one job, like my second job? No, I hate it. Mm -hmm. But that's putting money in my pocket yeah. until I can transition to whatever job I want. But for right now, I got two jobs. He was proud of it in that sense. And, in, and also, he was calling people on their BS because it was like being in a spell for him that the whole world or his environment had been telling him, you, oh, you got a felony? No one will ever hire you. You know, your race, no one will ever hire you, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And like he was caught in that cycle. And then when he broke it, it was like, like, man, everybody else lives life like this. You go to work, you know, you're not scheming on people. So, you don't have to carry it, carry a gun and be like, oh, I'm going to shoot and kill this dude or whatever. It was like, you, you want to go down a deep conspiracy theory rabbit hole? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is always fun. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about the, the kids that I'm going to get out you know, sports or, or, or music, right. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, sports, you gotta be a freak of nature, right. To get yeah. out that way. So, and, yeah. and there's kids that are, you know, I get it, but let's start, let's stick to the music stuff. When it comes to hip hop culture music, mm -hmm. what are the biggest hits? Sadly for the last probably 20 years has been drug sales, disrespecting women, yep and gang environment or yep. just at least committing crimes. Yeah. Now th that's true. 
You know, it, and I would it, beyond the past few years. Look at our day. Who was the biggest? Who was the biggest group in the world when rap first hit? NWA. So, so this is I used to talk about the hijacking of hip hop and dudes uh-huh. on the block. I'd always push my glasses up, yeah. you know, and nerd it up. But, but prior to NWA and Ghetto Boys, they were the uh-huh. two that man, like you said, when they hit, everybody went crazy. Yeah. If you go back and listen to early NWA, they do talk about like 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 basically no dope kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but, they, but, but here, and that's, that's where yeah. I'm getting, that's where I'm getting. Yeah. So are there, and I know, you know, the answer and I know the answer. Are there rap artists out there that do a good job showing an education and they use, you know, more broad spectrum things that kind of, this is how you get out. Are there rap mm-hmm. artists that are positive rap mm-hmm. artists? Are there rap artists that say, Hey, this is our culture. I get that, but here's how we get out. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Are, why are they not the biggest, biggest rap Be- artists? Because, and you both, you know. Uh-huh. So I, I equate it to uh, heavy metal music uh-huh. and the discovery of Satan worshiping. So uh-huh. back in the same time, like when hip hop is, is is rising, you know, uh, uh, throughout New York and then through the East Coast and the South. So was like heavy metal and punk rock. They're all kind of running parallel lines, right? Mm-hmm. From, from late seventies through eighties. They're the, and, and I don't mean nineties alternative. They are the alternative to regular pop and rock. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when you go back and look at early on uh, hip hop or, or rap, when it started, it was talking about social issues and cultural yep. issues the same way punk was and some heavy metal. But the metal bands very quickly realized you slap a pentagram on an album or you reference the number of the beast or something and you sell a million records. Yep. So it's like, how do we record labels? How do we replicate that with this rap thing that's going on? You know, well, rap had been around for a while before it really blew up into the mainstream. And by then you had greedy record labels coming in to exploit everybody. And that's what they did. It was like pushing this agenda of, okay, NWA, this is good, but can you push it further? Make can it harder. Talk, yeah, make it harder. Talk mm-hmm. more about crimes. You know, celebrate well, the lifestyle. Don't like. So if you go back and listen to Eric being Rock M, yeah. and he basically oh, says, yeah. I, I, right, I used to oh, be yeah. a stick up kid until I thought of all the devious things I did. So yep. it's basically like I grew up this way, but now I'm evolving. Now I've changed. I'm, I'm becoming a man, and I'm. I'm not victimizing people. And and Eric B and Rakim have released albums over the last 20 years, but nobody heard of them. So this is where the conspiracy theory comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody that is strays outside of the norm, right? If you, and this is going to get deep, and I, I'm telling everybody right now, my heart is good. My blood pressure is fine. My blood work is good. So if I keel over naturally, uh, it's BS. It's probably because I'm about to, re- this conspiracy theory is right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But if you have a group of people who are trying to control a population of mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form, if that population's music is rap or I'm not even going to go to, we we've spent a lot of time talking about ghetto kids and stuff like that mm-hmm. right now. Let's, let's go to heavy metal, right? If mm-hmm. that population is heavy metal and you start 
labeling the meth heads and the crazy rednecks and everything else. And they're all wearing Megadeth shirts and, and Slayer shirts and mm -hmm. all this. And that's a alt kind of group compared to your pressed khakis and your polo shirt who listens to, you know, uh, James Taylor and mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. all the, all the, the modern pop and Morgan Wallen and country music and it, mm -hmm. And you allow that to get more and more extreme. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, the pentagrams, the Satan worship, the even let's go as far as what's what was the Swedish band? Uh, May or the one that they like one of them ended up murdering a bunch of people. And oh, like it was like black metal or yeah, black yeah, metal or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the, like they even took it way, way far, mm -hmm. you know, well then all of a sudden now you can label anybody that's a metalhead in that category. Well, right. if, if, if you let a culture, um, you know, that is a poor, um, you know, they're in section eight, they're, mm -hmm. they're, where they're edifying music that they hear all day, every day is drugs, mm -hmm. womanizing, gang banging, everything else. Yeah. And it's cool in their music. Mm -hmm. And then you, you hear people as, as you discuss this, well, that's their culture. That's the way it is. That's what they like. But the record labels have control. Yes. So, so uh -huh. you know, it, yeah. are, are the record labels wanting to keep a demographic down through music and and this is going to go way way deep mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the one of the most hated human beings in history is who uh, i would say donald trump right now well no i mean i mean the history history like oh oh yeah it's adolf hitler yes yeah a mm -hmm. and adolf hitler had a quote mm -hmm. he said if you control the music you control the children if you control the children you control the world mm -hmm. and that's a scary quote you know, yeah. uh, there, there was a time where I was listening to public enemy where I was like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm, you know, gangsta, you know? Yeah. And then I started realizing what gangsta meant and I'm like, Oh shit, that's scary. I don't want it. I don't want it. That's not, me. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time where there was, you know, albums I'd listen to in the metal genre where they'd go a little satanic. And now, you know, I've interviewed some of these guys now. I mean, look, look at some of the Marilyn Manson interviews, you know? Mm-hmm he knew he was playing the game to get more album sales, to get more ratings, to get more listens. Yeah. He's not yeah. a Satan worshiper. He doesn't do the stuff, but he knew it was edgy, right? Yes. Why does our society and edgy's fun? Don't get me wrong. There, there are some rap songs that I like. that are kind of like, Whoa, I can't believe that, but it's edgy. And you're like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that's kind of fun. But why do we push a certain thing? Why can't we have the edgy and have the fun? And okay, this is, this actually happens in real life. That's a culture that's going on. But at the same time, in the same genre of music, why can't we push out the, the positive stuff more? Um, yeah. And you just don't see it. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe just not a whole lot of people are doing it because of that reason. They think if I rap about this or sing a song about this or whatever, I get a better chance of making it. Um, yeah. And have we just fallen into a hole where now we're going to go away from the conspiracy theory? The reality of it is, and this is probably the reality, is we've just fallen into a hole where the NWAs that were harder were more successful. Mm -hmm. So ever since then, people have been trying to be as hard or harder to make it 
and be successful. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, okay, which is it? And it could, it could be a little bit of both, you know, pretty much every conspiracy. There's probably a little bit of truth to every side of it. Uh, yeah. I would, I would say going back to like the, the late eighties, early nineties, and mm-hmm. it was record labels were, were yeah. just clamoring. We got to get, we got to get some of this rap, right? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's what was going on. Yeah. So then when NWA started selling and I could be wrong, but I think ghetto boys was like one of the, one that first tape, was like one of the biggest sellers of all rap at that time. And yeah. they had no like publicist. It was just all word of mouth. People yeah. were just handing tapes to each other. So once record labels realized like ghetto boys are singing about this NWA singing about this public enemies over here singing about this boogie down productions are singing about this. Right. Yeah. And so it's the, you have these two camps in my mind that are, that are very much different in the, in the context of what they're singing. Now, I think when NWA started, it was supposed to be a reflection of this is we're not New York, you know, like, we're like, we're not the boogie down. We're not Bronx. We're not, you know, we are LA and an LA is gang banging and it's drug sales and stuff. I don't know. I could be wrong. I think the early message was supposed to be, this is a reflection of our society that we live in. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is it, it evolved from that. And then everybody started pushing it more and more. And then it was almost like you couldn't sing about being a gang member. You mm-hmm. had to actually be a gang member. So then yeah. you had people who were saying, we call it false claiming in the gang world. It's like people were saying like, oh, I'm blood or I'm crip. But really they were never brought home. They were never legit. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that like when I'm teaching, I show people, you go back and watch the mainstreaming of gangs and it came through music. Yeah. So it became very acceptable for kids to be throwing up hand signs and claiming stuff. And when I say that, people are like, no, 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 that's not true. There's a there's a video. And I'm not saying Lil Wayne's a bad guy. I actually like a lot of his perspectives yeah. and interviews and stuff. There's Super pro cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. cop saved his life yeah. like when he was a yeah. kid. You know, it yeah. was legit. And and he actually had some reporters trying to push him into like that divisive racism. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like my audiences of all kinds and a white cop saved my life. So I'm not going to sit here. And, and that I thought was pretty cool. But what I don't really like is there's a video with him and Bruno Mars, who was multimillionaire, you know, or, or, you know, selling a million records, whatever, huge pop star. And they've got a video. I think it's called mirrors. If I remember right, you watch that video, especially like during a class where I'm teaching, hand signs and, and rank structure of bloods and symbols and all this. Mm-hmm. And then you watch it and say, okay, well, Lil Wayne's claiming blood. What is it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just, I hated that it did that, that, that music went in that route. And so many artists were also false claim. I'm not saying I don't want to yeah. get into the little one thing like, like fat Joe came out recently, I think, or at least there's a video circulating where he's saying, 95% of what I was rapping about was a lie. I was like, not true. I was yeah. just rapping about these things. Yeah. The problem is as kids, when you're growing up, you're influenced by that music. Yep. The same way, man, when I listened to metal music at a very early age, like third, fourth grade, it made me think different things or, or, or I, you know, I couldn't always relate once punk when I, when I listened to punk rock, when I was 10, I was hooked because I could relate to it. Yeah. Same thing with hip hop. When I'm listening back then, I was listening to like uh, Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, 
Eric being Rock M, EPMD, like yeah. I could relate to a lot of what they were talking about because they were talking about culture. They were talking about things occurring and happening. Yeah. I don't always have to agree with them. And yeah. and even you you study and and go back and listen to public enemy, and there was a huge division that at least was on the outside of where like band members were saying, Hey, whoa, we got one person saying the stuff that's kind of borderline anti-Semitic. And I can't remember all the quotes, yeah. but yeah. I just remember it kind of getting getting fractured, it seemed like. But what I liked about public enemy at the time was some of the songs are singing about society and different points of view of seeing yeah. things. So when Chuck D is, is, is rapping about a song and it's a, it's from the perspective of a man who's like, I'm not going to join the army. I'm not going to go in this yeah. draft. Like this isn't my country kind of thing. To me, I always listen to that as a perspective from someone else. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So if someone's going to rap about gangs and stuff, do it and say, this is from the perspective of a gang member, but not glorify and definitely not say, Hey, this is what you need to be doing. You know what I mean? Or, or even if you, you know, actors, they go in and they play everything from a gang banger to an angel to, mm -hmm. you know, a, a drug dealer, whatever. If you are talking about a lifestyle like that, you know, let's just say gang bangers and, and, and rap. Mm -hmm. Um, be transparent. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm I'm gonna use NLE Chapa. You know he's a newer guy. Okay, uh, he's from Memphis, mm -hmm. and he kind of does the whole you know lifestyle, the the mm -hmm. culture, you know whatever you want to call it. And my son loves him. Yeah, you know, my son's 12, and he he loves NLE Chopper. and he was all excited when he found out he's from Memphis. Oh yeah, and he said something gangsta, and I'm like. Italy Chopper went to Houston High School. Okay. Houston High School is where all the rich kids go. <laughs> okay. And it's like Houston is not a hood school. Houston mm -hmm. is in Germantown. It's, you know, it's kind of like, no, no, nah, that, mm -hmm. that's not. But, you know, be honest. Be, come out and say, mm -hmm. hey, look, you know, I like rapping about this because I was adjacent. Maybe my uncle or cousins had, were mm -hmm. involved in this. But I grew up and I went to Houston High School and, you know, my parents hooked me up with studio time and I was good. You know, be mm -hmm. honest. Uh, it's just like you said, whether it was Fat Joe or somebody else, whoever it was that came out and said, no, 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 I, I was just rapping about it. I didn't actually live it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these guys are like that. I mean, let's go back to Little Wayne. Mm -hmm. Remember when he got trouble for he was do they were filming a rap video and the American flag fell down and he stomped on it. Mm, and, yeah, you go. yeah it, mm. he came out and he wasn't stomping on it he just kept dancing and once he it, when the full video came out once he realized he was on the flag he picked it mm. up well come to find out somebody did it on purpose they were trying to make a video of him stomping on the flag oh okay and yeah. he was like uh-uh no, 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 no. That thing just happened to fall down behind me and I kept dancing and I realized yeah. I picked it up but yeah, he was he was ballsy enough to come out and say, no, 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 that I did not want that. That's not what happened. I would never. Die. And that's kind of when the him getting rescued by a cop came out. Mm -hmm. um, that's when he first started talking about that. <clears throat> but it's just like, be transparent, be real. I mean, even Marilyn Manson, I remember an interview with him where somebody was like, are you satanic? And he goes, my dad was a Baptist preacher. 
Right. Because I just yeah. know it would sell records. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. perfect. Here's an even better example. Let's go beyond Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you, have you ever heard of Ghost. I've heard the name and I know the okay. image like in my head. I love Ghost. Okay. Their music is incredible. They're they're not <laughs> too heavy heavy metal. They're you know kind of mid you know prog rock meets almost metal kind of thing. And I love them. But you. you the guy dresses as like a pope mm-hmm. <laughs> with an upside down cross on his chest. Uh, they they have these masked musicians who apparently have been a lot of famous musicians. Apparently, Dave Grohl had played with them, but they've got masks. Oh, on okay, them. okay. But, yeah, yeah. but they're supposed to be the the nameless demons or nameless ghouls or whatever. Um, and but they put themselves off as a satanic band. And but if you look at an interview with the lead singer, he's like, "Look, man, we're 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 more of a parody on how extreme religion can be, mm-hmm. um, you know. So we're a parody of somebody that is like, oh, we're Satanist.' And he goes, "I don't believe in any of it. I, I just know that this is fun. It was successful, and they took off with it. Mm-hmm. Now, because there are weak-minded people that can't wrap their head around that, mm-hmm. you know." Now we're going to get into, is it okay to censor stuff like that? Which I don't think it is. I'm, right. I'm a firm believer in, I am, a, I am not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I am a constitutionalist. If I had to label myself as something, I am a firm believer in our constitution. I swore oath to p- protect it. You swore an oath to protect mm-hmm. it. It is a, as it lies, I'm not going to say the document as it was created was a flawless document, but the way it is structured is a flawless document because mm-hmm. it is a living, breathing, changeable document mm-hmm. that forms the structure of our government. If there's something that's not working in there, we can have a constitutional amendment and change it because this doesn't work anymore. We need to flip the script on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. But our Bill of Rights is is it says it it's inalienable it cannot be these rights cannot be taken away yeah and the first amendment is in there so do i think we should change it because there's weak-minded people that might be influenced no (laughs) Mm -hmm. but once again full circle repercussions for people that might do something bad in the beginning and continue to do something bad if they don't get the repercussions. Yeah. I, I think for some of our listeners, the great thing is they can Google this. But mm-hmm. when you and I were very young, and I want to say it was called the PMRC, that Tipper Gore album. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how you get the little, yes. if you look at an album, it says parental <laughs> yes. advisory. That came from what yes. he's talking about. Yes. Yeah. So basically this organization went after metal bands to live crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they were saying there should be this label, this warning on music so mm-hmm. that parents know when they buy a record, there's very explicit material mm-hmm. in here. And I think it was Motley Crue, maybe, that was like behind closed doors, was like a big fan of it. Yeah. I think like it came out in an interview and it made, but either way, record sales shot through the roof. Oh, yeah. And they, if they had that label on. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it was this idea in it. Now, and if I remember right, they had all these hearings and D. Snyder from Twisted Sister mm-hmm. actually showed. I remember my mom laughing at him because of the Twisted Sister video. She she yeah. was always plugged in with our music and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so she'd laugh and be like, nah, is this the dead Kennedys? You know, kind of but, <laughs> yeah. but she laughed at his makeup and hair. But then when he got on the news and was talking, he was like very articulate. Anyway, 
the whole idea of squashing music, I think is absolutely crazy. It's the same yeah. as like burning books and this thing. Yep. But I, I, what I will say is it, we can't deny music has a very direct effect on mm -hmm. the youth. And as, as people are developing into adulthood, that idea of music can actually be very positive or negative, but it does not mean it's going to control you. You know what right. I mean? Like the, the lawsuits that came, came about, I think it was Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne when some teenagers, you know, throughout two or three years there it had committed suicide mm -hmm. and, and lawsuits were filed that were saying the music encouraged them and, I don't like that. I don't want to get into that dangerous realm. I will bring it. Forward. Oh, I'll go there. <laughs> it's it, it all boils down to this. Everything we're talking about. How do we do it? How do we be fucking better parents? That's it. I, I watch, I, I was not allowed to watch PG 13 movies in my home, mm -hmm. but I'm a kid. I'm going to go to my friend's house during Halloween and watch Friday the 13th. And I did. And I saw these movies and I saw Uber ultra gore. We watched faces of death in junior high and high school, all these horrible, dark, dark things. But because my parents taught me right from wrong, because they instilled what was good, what was bad. I never acted on any of those things. Mm -hmm. So when I hear, like you're saying, you know, the music caused, you know, Marilyn Manson caused Columbine. Cause these kids right. were Marilyn man. Fuck that. You know, yeah. uh, you've got to know right from wrong. If you teach right from wrong to these mm -hmm. kids, the likelihood becomes exponentially lower that they do a horrible thing or break the law because they know right from because of listening to music, because of watching movies, because of all that stuff. Most people that don't listen, like if you pulled up my phone right now, some of the songs that you would come up, I've had friends go, what is that? A demon singing? Cause it's just like, as another friend of mine says, it all sounds like cookie monster, you know? Yeah. And you know, if you listen to it, you're like, Oh my God, Zeke's like demonic. No, mm -hmm. it's, it is. There's, there's a study that came out a few years ago that talks about kids that listen to heavy metal and go to heavy metal concerts are more well-adjusted emotionally as adults because, because we learn to have that aggression that's in us, we all have it. Everybody, every human being on this planet has a aggression thing. And it's typically an adrenaline response. And it's, you know, there's lots of chemical things that cause this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you listen to metal, you, you, you find this outlet for it. That's not punching yeah. someone in the face, unless you're in a mosh pit, but that's a different story, but yeah. it, it, it's an outlet for that aggression and the anger. And, you know, we all deal with anger growing up because we all feel like we're not heard. We're not listened to. We're kids. So somebody don't care what we think or say or do. Um, but if you're a good parent that is teaching right from wrong, mm -hmm. if let's go back to the jail thing, if I got busted robbing a gas station and that cop took me to jail and I spent two hours in jail, right? Mm -hmm. And then I got out bail free, no bail. I'm still scared to death mm -hmm. because I got to go home and face my parents. Yeah. And that's going to be worse than any two hours in jail. Mm -hmm. I could have ever imagined, you know, I, that's probably what I would have been one of those kids. That, no, no, no. Keep me in jail. Just keep me in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but, but that is something I'm grateful for because it was a twofold layer of 
behaviorism, right? Yeah. I do an yeah. actor behavior. The cops get me. I also will then have the second layer of my parents getting me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it, it's not just how do we as a society, how do we as a system deal with juvenile crime, deal with crime in general and repercussions for that? How do you make society better by making sure your kids know right from wrong, making sure you're, and I'm not just saying, Hey, that's bad, Johnny. Don't do that. Yeah. I'm talking like give them repercussions and let them know that if they hit somebody for no reason, there is a severe repercussion mm-hmm. for that. Um, I don't, I don't believe in the, the, uh, the fear of God mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. I, I want my kids to be afraid of me because I don't, I want my kids yeah. to know that I'm a safe place, but I also want my kids to know that if they do something wrong, I will be the, the judge jury mm-hmm. and executioner yeah <laughs> and no i'm not thinking you kill your kids right. you know that's a that's a metaphor yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so to so to bring it full circle with the whole music thing everything there's a band and when i say the name of the band people always go uh there's a band called off with their heads uh out of minneapolis mm-hmm. or minnesota area downloading um, them now <laughs> yeah all, off with their heads so they've got probably about five albums out the first time I saw them, they opened up for a band called Against Me, right? Uh-huh. And and I was all excited to see Against Me. And I'm not disrespecting that band because they were great live. Is that but them? The, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so Off With Their Heads <laughs> opens up. And this is years ago. I think they had had their first album out, maybe. Just an incredible sound. Just like stripped down kind of punk rock. But not like Mohawk kind of, you know, that. But, yeah. but more of like cerebral um a, a lot of references <clears throat> to depression or things yeah. like that drug use but man <clears throat> they've got a song and i think it's called your kid or something like that um but the song actually talks about active shooters and and the lead singer like when he's singing he's he's basically the the context is i'm not saying what they're doing is right but I'm also saying I understand if you keep calling a kid these names and treating them this way, they can lash out. And basically, you don't always need more security. Maybe as parents, you need to raise kinder kids. Meaning, is it focus on your own family? Is that the oh, song? Maybe I, uh, I'm bad with like like titles of songs because because <laughs> at that time when they came out, it was really like the transition from records and cds and stuff yeah. like that so uh i had i had a bunch of i have a bunch of their cds so i was just always playing it at work you know in my work <laughs> car so i wasn't like reading the lyrics necessarily but but the song that one i mean verbatim that's what it goes into and i always think about like that for even people listening and going okay there's always a different perspective and and always think about problems from multiple prongs so if yeah. you want to address uh, school shooters, beef up your security, you know, obviously better training. We can get into like firearms on school campuses for, I don't want to get into all that yet. We'll save that yeah. for episode three, but <laughs> I will say part of that song is saying, just be a kinder person. And yeah. if you have kids, raise them to be kind, like raise mm-hmm. them to not pick on people or ostracize people. So I did mention off with their heads. You know, we always wrap up when we talk about music. You mentioned ghost. Is there anything else like that you're listening to now that you're like, ah, you, you need to check this out? 
uh, or anything you revisit and go, gosh, this still holds up. Like I've gotten years. into, and it, it's good that I've got iTunes pulled up because I can reference it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've gotten into like other cultures, harder music. Okay. So I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of the who H U not like the who, like the old British band. Oh, like it's just the H U and okay. it's kind of like a darker Mongolian rock. Mm. And it's kind of cool. Uh, another one is alien weaponry. It's in New Zealand. Okay. Um, and they kind of, they it's and it's metal, but mm. it's, it's the Maori tribe language. A lot yeah, of okay. it is. So that's mm. really cool. I like that. Um, What's another one? Oh, dude, comedy wise, Psycho Stick. Oh, I haven't heard that. Oh, dude, you've got to download Psycho Sticks. There's one song that's it's it's NSFW, uh, okay. like not safe for work. Okay. And the entire song is just the word fuck in different ways. <laughs> Psycho Sticks. Psycho Stick. It, the the cover of the album has like a little like hornet flying or something like that. Um, let me say, hang on. Let me, there's a few that I've gotten into lately. Oh, there's a guy on Instagram that I follow and this sucks because I could promote him and he'd be happy, but I can't think of his, his Instagram, but basically he finds the hardest, just drops the little transitions kind of, uh, breakdowns is what they call it Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, you're listening to a metal song and then it just goes quiet and all you hear is do 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 and then all of a sudden it just explodes <laughs> and you're like, Yeah. <laughs> and he'll find the hardest drops. And so a lot of the stuff I've been downloading is his stuff. Um uh what's another one? Otherwise dead. That's a good one. What uh, is that? Like just metal? It's metal. Or, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. Metal. There was I'm trying to th- oh, and doom metal. Like I've gotten into doom metal a lot okay. lately. So it's mm-hmm. If if nobody understands what doom metal is, we've gone metal or hard rock to metal to thrash metal to death metal to black metal. And now there's this doom metal, which is kind of full circle back to the black, black Sabbath kind of feel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like a, you know, it's yeah. Uh, telekinetic Yeti is a good one. I really like them. It's a, and they're a two piece. And if you listen to them, you would be like, Mm -hmm. Oh wow, this is an awesome band. And then you watch them live and you're like, there's only two guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, how are you making your guitar sound like a bass and a guitar at the same time? It's crazy. Um, uh, but yeah, kind of like the doom metal vibe here lately. Cause it's, it's a little more chill. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like a black Sabbath. Um, and you that's, can understand the words. <laughs> that, that's kind of like how <clears throat> I think it, they're, they're called Witch Mountain, but I've got a yes. cousin. Yeah, cousins. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've got two cousins that are connected to that band. Okay. And one of the cousins, it, it tells a story about them playing, I think it was with Phil Anselmo's mm-hmm. like side project. Either way, somehow my cousin crossed his path with Phil Anselmo. And it's almost That's like a awesome. fight's going to ensue. And I don't, I can't remember all the details. I don't want to get it wrong. Cause he'll be on the show one day. Um, Bill and Samo in a fight. No, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he, they used to talk about which mountain and that kind of put me in that, that kind of like bracket. Yeah. Uh, Corrosion of conformity is kind of like, I mean, yeah. they've been around for so long yeah. and it's almost like you can follow that, that track of like, okay, mm-hmm. now they're, they're getting back sort of to this sound of like, like black Sabbath, like you said, it's almost like 
like the children of Black Sabbath, so to speak, like all yeah. these bands are coming back and be like, okay, this, yeah. is, this is actually a good sound. And I'll tell you what made me sad recently when mm-hmm. we're talking about music we're into and it's done is I went and saw Seven Dust and I can't even remember who the headliner is because I just mm-hmm. went for Seven Dust. Seven Dust used to be the band for live metal. I would mm-hmm. always go, they'd be intense. The drummer was the one that would do all the screaming and then, you know, uh, uh, the lead singer, uh, Lejean, mm-hmm. he was do the singing part. I went and saw him a couple months ago mm-hmm. and they're old. Okay. And it was just like, Oh no, this makes me feel so damn old. Cause Lejean wasn't jumping around mm. the, the drummer. He's balding, but mm-hmm. he's kept his long hair. And so his hairline is like way up here now. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird. Yeah. It's just yeah. creepy. But talking about old bands, I'm going to see the new lineup of Pantera on the 10th of, of February. So is that so, Phil and it's Phil. And then, uh, what's his Zach, name? Zach wild yeah. on guitar. Okay. Uh, the drummer is, I mean, Phil's the only original member. You know, yeah. Everybody else yeah. is dead. Yeah. Um, Mm. But I, I'm I'm curious. I, I I saw Pantera open for White Zombie back in the early '90s mm-hmm. with Dimebag and Vinny on drums yeah. and Phil, as yeah. the lead and that was cool. But I wasn't into Pantera as much then. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was like one of those after the facts. I'm like, oh, I saw them live. This is cool. And I'm like, oh man. But <laughs> yeah. I never got to see him after I got into Pantera. But this, so yeah. this will be interesting whether it it feels the same or not. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that's 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 a good one. But yeah, the 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 whole cyclical cycle of music. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I tell my kids when oh well, this nobody listens to this anymore. I'm like, trust me, it'll come back around. Yeah, and, it and always and, does. Yeah, <laughs> and the best thing about music is it usually really good music will last. Yeah, like people still yeah. listen to Black Sabbath and are amazed oh, yeah. at how those guys played and sang. Um, with hip hop, sometimes people are like, oh, that sounds so basic and simple. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I understand that. But think yeah. about the concept. Or you do go back and listen to like Eric B and Rocky M or Public yeah. Enemy. And you're just like, and, and Boogie Now as well. Like, they, it's the, even the sound itself still it's stands still up. Yeah, yeah. And, and the lyricism and all that. Like, so I will say, um, there's a guy who, this is a softer side of me when it comes to music. Like, <laughs> Like, you know, I, I would say like for hard. You like Yanni. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I made a Yanni reference. I made, Yanni, I made a Yanni reference probably about a month ago. And I made a Zamfir reference, which most people <laughs> stared at me and they're like, what are you talking about Zamfir? I'm like, well, I'm staring at you like that. <laughs> he, he was a fan flute player and you can now do these things. So when I'm, I used to make these jokes all the time, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and people were like, what are you talking about? I'd be like, oh, that's that's better than Zamfir, you know. Yeah. Well, it was an infomercial when I was a kid. Then I'm like, is this real? This dude's <laughs> playing the pan flute, like that thing that's like bifurcated yeah. or whatever. And yeah. you yeah. um, so anyway, I made a reference and people were just like, What are you talking about? But now you can pull your phone out and be like, nah, you can appreciate yeah. the old yeah. the old commercial selling the, the record <laughs> of Zamfir, the, the pan flute player. But no, I if if I'm going hardcore, then of course. Yeah. I almost always tell people, listen to Terror, T-E-R-R-O-R. Huh. They're an L.A. hardcore band, but man, I think they're on like maybe their seventh album. Okay. And when they started out, very, very like a New York hardcore sound from the 90s, like just very hard. 
and then kind of transitioned and brought in like all these different sounds. So some stuff will be a little metal, some stuff will be more hardcore, but the complete energy, I mean, they still are incredible. They're, they're, they're kind of like that, that band. They're like, like sick of it all. Okay. Sick of it all yeah. is still killing it. They've never put out a bad album. Yeah. I think mean, they're on the year 30. I mean, just incredible. So that's my hard stuff that I still yeah. dig. Um, but Jesse Stockton is a guy that I've posted a few times in my stories, real mellow, really, really, really good artist. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always constantly playing like shake it off black t-shirt and fire. There's like three great, great songs. Yeah. Uh, so it's, Cause sometimes the listeners are like, I don't care about your punk rock or metal, but when I throw out some different stuff, they're like, Oh, okay. I'll check it out. Yeah. And ju- yeah. Just this morning I had a dude, James, who's a cool cat. We hang out with him sometimes when we can. And he's just a cool guy. And we talk about music and he sent me red clay strays. So like red clay strays and the song is wondering why. Okay. And so when I play it, I'm like, Oh man, this sounds great. Cause it does. And, and it's almost like an older, I don't know, kind of Americana but rock, like r- back when rock was like Jerry Lee Lewis and, and, little richard kind of like in their heyday but but so but which album why. the one with wondering why um yeah that was okay. the track that was the song i listened to but okay. but when, I, when i'm like halfway through it i'm like hold on i just heard this song and i you know andre and i are sitting out at a, at a local distillery yeah and this dude's singing and then all of a sudden he calls up a, another guy which the guy singing actually was was the guy jesse stockton oh wow but he calls up a dude from like the audience, I guess he knew him or something. Yeah. And the dude starts singing this song. Now he's not in the band, but he did yeah. a great cover song of it. And I was like, man, that's, that's good stuff. So was it when James, this guy, James sent me that song this morning. I was like, man, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to dig into red clay strays. So I I'll be careful. Cause I mess up names all the time. Of band. You, you got it right on that one. Cause I looked it up and I'm, I'm downloading it, but so I'll give three. Okay. On the mellow side, we gave the metal stuff. Yeah. On the mellow side, uh, well, not necessarily mellow, but just a different vibe. Uh, of course, everybody knows Sturgill Simpson. You know who that is, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I love yeah. Sturgill Simpson. Everything he's come out with, I've loved. You know, every mm-hmm. single album. Um, another one is The White Buffalo. You, so, yeah, you mentioned yeah. that to me. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, basically, yeah. if you've ever watched Sons of Anarchy, mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one that does the house of new Orleans, but in his style and it's a okay. slower, darker, deeper kind of, mm-hmm. his voice is incredible. White Buffalo. And then another one who I just love anytime I want to feel good. Mm-hmm. There's two bands that I put on. One is a native howl, which is kind of like bluegrassy metal. Okay. Uh, and then the other one is, um, uh, devil makes three. Yes. It's, okay. it's a, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, so it's a three piece. So it's like mm-hmm. an upright bass, a banjo, yeah. and mm-hmm. drums, I guess, or something. But it's just, so, it just feels good. It's just fun, mm-hmm. you know. And some of their, this is one of those weird things, you know. Some of their lyrics, mm-hmm. if you put metal music to it or even a hip hop uh-huh. beat, people would want to ban it. But okay. Because it's bluegrassy, yeah. people are like, oh, this is okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. like I used to say that when people would bitch at me about, oh, you listen to metal, that's devil music, and I'm like, you listen to Dixie Chicks. If you put, right. if you put Earl had to die to a metal bassline with somebody going Earl had to die, you know, yeah. 
people are like ban it, ban it, ban it. But because it's the Dixie Chicks, it's okay. <laughs> uh, we were just listening to them <laughs> like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, but, you're I mean, right. yeah. yeah it, it, lyrics are only powerful, you know, on the dark side. <laughs> is if if you yeah. put it to music that you were uncomfortable with. You know, I yeah. I'll never forget, and my ex wife will probably kill me, but she'll never hear this. Um, when we were dating. Uh, we were at a, at a, at a bar and me and a buddy of mine, who's a metal head, it was when Ramstein had first oh, hit okay. and that do Haas song comes on yeah. Yeah. and it's like, and she's like, Oh my God, this is definitely easy. I'm like, no, nah, it's Ramstein's, but they're, they're singing in demonic language. I'm like, it's a uh, German. <laughs> <laughs> And she was, she really thought that they were trying to do this demonic right. language. And I'm like, no, that's, that's German. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, look, dude, I enjoyed it. Uh, yep. It sounds like everything works out on our chat side. I <laughs> yeah. think we're good to go. Yeah. Uh, where can everybody reach you, man? Um, the biggest places, you know, my business is MGS trade school, modern gun school, where we teach gunsmithing and that's just mgs.edu. Uh, you can find MGS trade school on all the social medias. And then my personal social media is uh, Zeke, Z-E-K-E underscore stout, S-T-O-U-T. Uh, you can find me on that. And if you have any questions about the trade school MGS, you can, you know, ask me through all those. So perfect. Perfect. Yep. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm ready yes, to do it again anytime. We'll do it. Disruptor. <laughs> right. Disruptor's out.